Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thank you for hanging out with me today, and I am glad that you are here. When you have chronic illness, it isn't uncommon to have problems with electrolyte imbalances. Because of that, I have decided to do a series that talks about what they are, how the body uses them, and things that we can do to manage our electrolytes. For the next several weeks, I will make a post aiming for Wednesdays about one of the electrolytes. So hey, let's get into it. Today we are talking about phosphate. The normal serum phosphate concentration in adult ranges from 2.5 to 4.5. Phosphate concentration is 50% higher in infants and 30% higher in children, possibly because of the important roles the phosphate-dependent processes play in growth. Most of the phosphorus in the body is bound with oxygen and forms phosphate. About 85% of the phosphate in your body is in your teeth and your bones. Most of the rest is in the inside of the cells where it helps with energy production. Phosphate is important for building bones, cell walls, and DNA. Thus, it is essential to proper growth. Only a small portion of the body's phosphate is actually floating around in your blood. Hyperphosphatemia is when the phosphate levels are too high or above 4.5. Hyperphosphatemia is rare except in people with severe kidney dysfunction. In these people, the kidneys do not excrete enough phosphate. Dialysis often used to treat kidney dysfunction is not very effective at removing phosphate and thus does not reduce the risk of elevated phosphate levels. There are some other causes for elevated phosphate levels, but they are rare. Most people who have these conditions do not have a problem with their phosphate levels being too high. However, it is possible with hypoparathyroidism, pseudo-hypoparathyroidism, diabetic ketoacidosis, crush injuries, rhabdomyolysis, sepsis, or with an extremely large intake of phosphate, either orally or rectally. In most cases, elevated phosphate levels does not present with any symptoms. However, calcium binds with phosphate in the blood. Thus, when the phosphate elevate levels are high, it often drives the calcium levels down. If someone presents with symptoms, it is usually of a low calcium. When the calcium and phosphate bind, they form a crystal which can then implant into the body's tissues, including the blood vessels, which can lead to hardening or arterial sclerosis, which is a major risk factor for heart attacks, strokes, and poor circulation. Elevated phosphate is treated by reducing the amount of phosphorus eaten in the diet and with medications that limit the body's ability to absorb the phosphorus. These medications require monitoring and prescriptions. However, you don't necessarily need to be in the hospital for this treatment. Hypophosphatemia is when the phosphate levels are too low or below 2.5. Having a low phosphate level is much more likely than having a high level, but is still uncommon. This condition can happen either quickly or over a long period of time and is different depending upon how the depletion occurs. If the loss was rapid over a few days or a week, it will be diagnosed as acute hypophosphatemia. If the loss was over a longer period of time, over a few weeks or months or even years, it will be diagnosed as chronic hypophosphatemia. 
In acute hypophosphatemia, the phosphate level in the blood suddenly falls dangerously low. Because the body uses large amounts of phosphate during recovery from certain disorders, acute hypophosphatemia may occur in people recovering from severe malnutrition, diabetic ketoacidosis, severe alcoholism, and severe burns. This sudden drop in phosphate level may result in an abnormal heart rhythm and even death. This is a serious condition and is always treated in the hospital. In chronic hypophosphatemia, the phosphate level in blood becomes low over time. Chronic hypophosphatemia usually develops because too much phosphate is excreted. Causes include hyperparathyroidism, chronic diarrhea, and use of medications such as diuretics, aluminum-containing antacids, or phenylphthalein for long periods of time. Chronic hypophosphatemia is less serious and is not likely to cause either heart arrhythmias or death. This is generally treated outpatient except in cases when the level has become dangerously low. All right, let's talk about phosphate supplements. The first thing to say is that you should only supplement phosphate with the supervision of your primary care provider or healthcare professional. The list of medications that can interact with phosphate is really long. Thus, it is also really important that you discuss phosphate supplementation with your pharmacist if you're taking any other medication or supplement. When you're taking these supplements, whether taking a tablet, powder, or capsule, you always need to mix the medication with water before you take it. You never swallow the medication whole. Be sure to ask your pharmacist about the proper way to prepare these and the amount of water to use as each dosage and preparation of phosphate is a little bit different. Take phosphate supplements immediately after eating a meal. This will improve the absorption of the supplement and reduce the possibility of having stomach upset or loose stools. If you're having loose stools when you take this supplement is indication that your body is not absorbing the supplement. You should speak with your pharmacist about how to improve the absorption. For some people with absorption issues, this is going to be a side effect of taking the supplement that cannot be helped. Additionally, if your gut has a difficult time absorbing the supplement due to an illness, the only solution may be to take additional supplementation leading to more loose stools. In that case, management of the side effect becomes important to prevent dehydration. It is essential that you drink eight ounces of water every hour while awake when you are taking a phosphate supplement. This helps prevent both the potential dehydration, but more importantly, it helps flush the supplement from the kidneys, preventing kidney stones. And I promise you, you do not want kidney stones. Never change how much or how you are taking this supplement without talking to both your doctor and your pharmacist. Taking this supplement improperly can lead to serious side effects. Phosphate in your diet. It is recommended that anyone under the age of 10 years old get 800 milligrams of phosphate a day. If older than 10, you should be getting between 800 and 1200 milligrams a day. If you are pregnant or breastfeeding, you should be aiming for that 1200 milligram daily. Phosphate is readily available in our diets and it is pretty easy to eat enough of it, which is why it is uncommon for a person to have a low level. That being said, if you have a high level and need to avoid eating phosphate, it's a difficult task. This is why they prescribe medications to bind the phosphorus and make it more difficult for your body to absorb it. When talking about phosphorus in the diet, we are really just talking about which foods have the higher amounts in them because most foods have phosphorus. 
Dairy products are great sources for phosphorus. However, this is a food that many people cannot eat because it is a common food allergy, food trigger, and food sensitivity. Because of that, I'm going to focus on the other foods high in phosphorus. Meat, poultry, and fish are high in phosphorus. Each meat provides a range based on the cut of the meat. Pork provides 130 to 221 milligrams, beef 144 to 180 milligrams, Chicken or turkey provides 134 to 164 milligrams. Canned fish tends to offer more phosphorus than fresh or frozen due to the processing of the canned fish. Canned salmon offers 244 milligrams, while fresh salmon offers 192. Seeds, nuts, and legumes are the nutrition powerhouses, offering so many important nutrients. These are great foods to include in your diet on a regular basis if you're able to. Pumpkin seeds have 646 milligrams of phosphorus. Sunflower seeds have 393 milligrams. Lentils provide 264 milligrams. Beans, varying on type, offer between 177 and 186 milligrams per serving. Grains are also a good source of phosphorus. Bran offers 344 milligrams, oatmeal 142 milligrams, and quinoa 149 milligrams. Your PCP, your primary care provider or PCP, really will be your best ally when managing any supplement. They will be the person that will monitor your lab work. They're going to write those orders. And you need that lab work to make sure that your supplementation is meeting your goals. They're going to be the ones that will help you make sure that you're taking the right amount of the supplement. Not to mention, it is most likely going to be your PCP who is helping you manage those underlying conditions that is causing you to have to take a supplement in the first place. It is also possible that your supplements could interact with medications that you are taking. Your PCP and your pharmacist are your best allies for monitoring these possible interactions. So it is super important to keep your doctor in the loop whenever you are adding supplements of any kind into your treatment plan. Well, I hope that you found this uh, installment of our electrolyte series useful and I hope that you have some information that can help you in the supplementation process and the modification of your diet and can help you in the conversation that you should be having with your PCP. So thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. I hope to see you again and I hope that you do well until then and I hope to see you next week when I have my next installment of the Electrolyte series. Thanks again for hanging out with me today.